rocking on gilded splinters. Oh, nice. Little classic Dr. John reference. Good way to start this show. <laughs> and hello, friends. Indeed. Welcome in to this, the 111th edition of Fusebox, lyrically entitled Boundary Blues. And I'm your splitting infinitives because I like the sound they make, host, Mark Rose. And over there, building a wall of sonic excellence to our show, as always, the 33rd degree Mason of Meters, Milt Keynes, everybody. Yeah, thank you, Kylie. So did you catch that uh, blood moon eclipse thing a few days back? I heard about it. I did not actually uh, see it, though. Oh, watching uh, Invasion of the Slug Nuns again, were you? <laughs> uh, no, d- although, although, that is truly a cinematic marvel, Mr. Keynes. No, I did not, uh, I did not see it, but I did see some rather uh, startling video, though. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, really. But, uh, the real news was the, uh, meteorite that exploded on the moon. Really? Yeah. They have footage of this little flash that happened at the same time as this uh, blood moon thing. Apparently there was uh, this astronomer dude who was uh, pretty damn obsessed with capturing the meteor striking the moon. Yeah. And he had like uh, eight different telescopes all trained on different parts of the moon. And he's like, you know, recording for days to get this strike. Huh. Well, then he must have had some pretty good... uh intel that there would be a meteor strike then, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, he was uh, he was pretty involved in the research there. And uh, I guess he was right. <laughs> so, so why am I thinking you're not buying the meteor thing? Well, you'd be right. <laughs> My guess is that something more likely came off the moon then landed on it. Oh, I see. Okay, so like it like it came from one of the alleged uh, moon bases run by Nazis up there? Is that what you're saying? Oh, that's complete crap. Oh. Now, now some, some of their uh, uh, ex-scientists may have been involved in the early development, okay? But uh, at this point, it, it's, it's either us or... The giant manus alien. Oh, okay. So the whole Nazi moon base thing is uh, total crap. But the giant mantis aliens, <laughs> they're the real deal. Oh, it's got to be, bro. I mean, if you look back, some of the shots from amateur astronomers over the last few years, well, you'll see some crazy ass shit up there, man. What? Like Marriott's and Holiday Inns and stuff like that? You know, laugh if you want, amigo, but I'm just saying, there are pictures of these weird tower-like structures and some stuff that looks like domes and all kinds of things like that. You know, I have heard a theory that uh, many believe, in fact, that uh, the moon is actually hollow, that it was a, a craft that was parked in our orbit millions of years ago Hence the reason it uh, appears to be stationary and doesn't, you know, rotate like uh, other objects in the solar system here. Yeah, I heard that too. It is kind of creepy that the thing just sits up there like that, not moving. Seriously, though, man, I, ch- check check out some of those shots of the moon taken by these astronomers. It'll get you thinking. Perhaps. 
Perhaps. But more likely, it'll get me thinking what version of Adobe After Effects they were using. You know? But be that as it mayn't. Friends, we have a gloriously grounded program planned here today. Uh, coming up in a bit, we have a uh, delightful chat with Chris Neal, who is the head of security and public safety for the Port of Portland, a position which, uh, especially in these days that we find ourselves in, uh, has great significance, to say the least. Uh, but first, uh, this little uh, nugget of interest, which uh, Mr. Keynes does uh, align with uh, perfection to your uh, blood moon eclipse thing. The uh, St. John's County Sheriff's Office told WJXT-TV that a car belonging to some moon gazers, which they had parked directly on Ponte Vedra Beach that night, evidently forgot to keep an eye on the quickly rising tide as they watched Sunday night's lunar eclipse. The sheriff's office said the car's occupants had been uh, watching the eclipse and failed to notice the high tide coming in. The vehicle had to be pulled out of the Atlantic Ocean early Monday. <laughs> no injuries were reported, but their car was swamped and had to be towed out of the water. Yes, that's right. And uh, meanwhile, in a slightly more uh, unfortunate event, a Florida police officer ran over a man and woman who they say were lying in a road to watch the celestial event. Wait, what? I'm not making this up, man. They were lying in the road. And didn't hear the car coming? See, I'm thinking that maybe you and Marcy, just as an example, right? You two just probably stood out on your back porch and watched it, right? right, right? Maybe, maybe even got up on the roof. I don't know. But I think it's safe to say that lying down in the middle of the street wasn't the first choice, right? So they had their ears filled with cotton so they could see it better? Mr. Keynes, the mind boggles. Just, just boggles. It's why, of course, we sincerely ask, nay, implore, the time-honored question. What the fuck, Florida? Oy, oy, oy. Well, we shall uh, return in a flash with the Fusebox interview and our guest on this edition of the show, Chris Neal, from the Port of Portland, right after this. The show for everybody, but not everybody will like it. So, a few weeks back, I had the distinct pleasure to sit down with Chris Neal from the uh, Port of Portland. He's a uh, most, most gracious chap who was very articulate concerning uh, the goings-on at the Port of Portland and uh, some of uh, his specific duties, which are, as they say, a plateful. Friends, Portland is a very unique city in terms of its uh, ports. Other things, too, but in terms of its ports— and uh, transportation in general and how this is all uh, cleverly managed. Uh, all this shall be revealed, friends, 
in the interview to follow, I promise. But uh, the first thing is that I wanted to mention was that uh, when I had talked with Chris about possibly uh, doing an interview with our, uh, for our show here, the country was not partially closed. The essential services component of our government was uh, not at that point anyway being uh, held hostage, as it were. But uh, there were talks of, you know, walls and security fears and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're in our second month of that now, for crying out loud. Yes, yes. And, and, and at least at the time we recorded this, there, uh, there was certainly no compromise in sight from anybody. So, uh, this interview becomes uh, even more timely and relevant than first envisioned. So, let's meet Chris, shall we? On this... The Fusebox Interview. You know, as, as we were t- talking earlier, uh, right. before we started uh, spinning here... When we first designed doing this interview, uh, the uh, the country was not in its present situation that it is in right now, which uh, sort of uh, addresses a multitude of things that we will get to uh, shortly. Yeah. But uh, just so the folks uh, can get a kind of handle on things, what is your actual title with uh, with the port? Yeah, the actual title is public safety and security director. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that, I, yeah, that still makes my brain hurt just thinking about it. But uh, and how long have you been uh, doing in this that position? Uh, about two and a half years, wow. so relatively new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, relatively new. Yeah, but. I think it would be helpful for people that are a lot of the listeners to this program are in other parts of the world, so uh, they may not know the geographic uh, parameters and specifics of, of uh, where we live. Portland is fed by two rivers, and maybe you can tell right. us a little bit of how this sits geographically. Right, and I can actually even uh, better write where the Port of Portland is. So, yeah, you got the Willamette, north and south, Columbia, east, west, and the Port of Portland is a half a mile from the Columbia. I mean, it's right there <laughs> on the river, so it's great view from the desk, of course, yes. when I have time to be at the desk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, right, right there along, uh, the Columbia and then maybe another, uh, few miles from Willamette. I mean, right there where the two meet. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and because of that, uh, the Columbia also interfaces with the state of Washington. That's so right. That's part of the thing too. So you have to somehow coordinate between Washington and the yeah, state. Yeah, you could see it right across yeah. uh, from my desk. You could see Washington. Does that pose any issues side. in terms of uh, just going up the highway two hundred five? That's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would be. Yeah. Anybody knows what that's like. Yeah, the uh, traffic. Uh, I would. I, I would. I would imagine that the uh, strategic challenges uh, of that. Um, are many, and we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But does this also require a, a fair amount of cooperation between the state of Washington and the state of Oregon? It does. I mean, when we're specifically talking about uh, security uh, and policing and yes. things like that, and you know, all the different groups that I have in public safety and security, which is fire and police, et cetera, et cetera, I'd say the biggest thing are the partnerships mm-hmm. between the two. Uh, if we're responding, our fire department – because the port of Portland has its own fire department. Right. And so we respond there uh, on the Columbia, but we respond with 
Washington and so forth and the state and Coast Guard and everybody else. So, so have, a lot of that is partnerships. Yeah, and there has to be a freedoms. fair amount of diplomacy <laughs> going on with relationships like that. This is unique. I've lived in other places that have water and uh, they have uh, port authorities. I have never encountered a uh, cooperation of things as there is in the port. Yeah. Now, you oversee more than just ships because most people are going to hear this as as boat traffic. That's right. But That's tell, right. Just, Very good question. Just yeah. elaborate a little bit on what, what's entailed here. It is a port authority regionally. Uh, and so not only do we have all the terminals where the you know barges and ships and things like that come in up and down the uh, Willamette side, north mm -hmm. and south, but it's the airport, which is particularly where I'm at, mm -hmm. uh, at the airport there, PDX, which is like I mentioned right along the Columbia there. Uh, and then not just PDX, because we also have uh, Hillsborough and we've also got Troutdale Airport. So right. there's three different airports there and then four different marine terminals, as well as a lot of business land properties and things like sure. that, which I don't know all those by heart. So right. yeah. we won't grill you. Uh, <clears throat> but I think it's unusual. And, you know, at least in the in the places that I've lived before, where a port authority like that encompasses so Air much. traffic, <laughs> for, yes, for sir, one thing. So much, yes, It sir. is very, very unique. Right. Um, the choreography of all of these pieces must be yeah. enormous. A lot of great people. That's how I'd sum it up. Yeah. A lot of good people. I mean, uh, just it's a fascinating being in a meeting uh, where in the first 10 minutes you're talking about airplanes and in the second <laughs> 10 minutes you're talking about wheat coming out of a terminal or <laughs> Ford trucks going to China and, you know, back and forth, things like that. Right. So, yes, it's very unique. Well, since we were chatting about the airport here, I have to say this. This was a tradition that uh, uh, I encountered decades ago. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I don't know where it got started. Perhaps yeah. you do, but it's a fascinating thing, friends. Uh, most people who visit the, uh, the Portland airport, upon their uh, arrival, have a, a, a tradition in place where they photograph their feet on the carpeting yes. of the gate that they're, uh, they have entered and, uh, this, and usually post these pictures to social media all over the place. I don't know where that got started, but yeah. uh, it's a it's a fascinating thing, and I know they recently changed the carpeting. Oh my god! <laughs> a public outcry. It was was hoid. That's but right. uh, <laughs> but it still goes on, and it and it it's still. Do you know anything about the history of that? I honestly don't know where it started, and like I said, I've uh, been working in the airport for maybe five years, and so when I first heard about it, I too thought it was pretty off kilter myself <laughs> with foot selfies, you know, yeah. what's that about? Uh, so I don't know where it started and you're right. It was a public outcry, uh, you know, when they moved the carpet and put the new one in, but people still do it. And the I carpet's know. got its own Facebook page. Oh, it does. oh goodness. Facebook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we love it. We uh, love BDX. Uh, yes, we do. And that's the, uh, that was a, a, a following up on that is a very interesting thing. This airport, you know, it's not just me talking, friends. This airport has has been recognized for how many years? Six now? years in a row. Six years in a row is the best airport in the country, and we are very proud of that. I've got four or five T-shirts of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, it's it is true, and I can honestly say that even the very first time I I came out here and and flew into that uh, airport, it was instantly welcoming. Yeah. There was something about it that was 
I don't know. And I've been into some very Byzantine airports and this just sort of welcomed you. It was like easy to get from point A to point B. It's a customer service culture and PDX invests in that a lot. Mm -hmm. And we celebrate it multiple times a year. Every year there's a big celebration right around, uh, I think it's springtime-ish on customer service engagement, recognizing those that have went above and beyond to make PDX exactly what you just said it is. There seems to be an enormous amount of uh, collaboration being invited by the port to the community. Hey, help us. You got some ideas. We're open to listen to it. It's not a closed door policy. At least I don't get that impression from what I've read and certainly talking with you. Right. It's absolutely not. And you mentioned uh, the fact that we're investing in uh, new infrastructure and so forth uh, to meet capacity issues over the next potentially the next 20 years or so, the the travel is just going to be too big. The capacity it just won't be big enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that was reaching out to our community and asking, look, when we go in here and change things with this PDX that you love so much, we want you to be part of this process. We don't want you to walk in the year 2025 is when we're hoping to cut the ribbon, God willing, uh, <laughs> that it's this completely different uh, experience that that you're not used to. We want you to still love PEX for all the reasons it is today when we cut the ribbon on it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Just a, a moment ago, you were referring to the fact that uh, the port has its own uh, fire department and police force. That's unusual. It is. It is. And I am proud as hell of it, too. And so are they. Uh, so my specific family for public safety and security, uh, we have our own police department. We have our own fire department. We have our own dispatch center. Now we're connected to the city of Portland, but we have our own dispatch, 911, as well as aviation security. This is uh, the group that keeps people from moving throughout the airport where they shouldn't be moving, access doors and things like that. And then also an emergency management uh, program as well uh, we've got. And then finally, our badging department. This is where you go and get your badge so you can access and then we'll you know, do background checks and things like that to make mm-hmm. sure Mark is who Mark says he is. Right. How complicated is that when you're interfacing with city police or state or whatever right. in, in that case? That's a good question. Right back to what we talked about earlier with IGAs, these intergovernmental agreements. So uh, when we respond, uh, we respond collaboratively, like you just mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if something happens on the interstate, 205, or if it happens at... Cascade Station, though the jurisdiction may uh, overlap, there are agreements in place to where we know that the city is going to show up and we're going to show up as well. And then we'll work together once we get there to resolve whatever it is, whether it's police, whether it's fire, we have agreements in place. But we work very well together. Uh, We speak routinely with city fire, city police, et cetera. You know, we find ourselves in a very strange uh, position right now. Uh, At the time of recording, the uh, federal government is closed. Uh, Certain uh, essential services are are presently on hold, and hopefully that will only be a short term, but uh, we don't know yet. Now, TSA and uh, air traffic controllers and and folks like that, of course, work there at uh, the airports and so forth. Are there effects of this uh, shutdown that are you know making them the, themselves known to your? Oh yeah, there are, and it's people effects, and that's probably that's mm. what breaks my heart the most. Um, 
because all those folks that you just mentioned, uh, they break into a couple categories of mm-hmm. essential and non-essential. If you're non-essential, then yeah, you're you're staying home right now, and you're right. praying that, and when this is all over, you'll get a paycheck for all that back pay. Uh, but if you're essential, the uniform, like you mentioned, TSA, which is where I was before I got this job. Uh, okay. If you're in the uniform, you're essential for air travel. I mean, it's a, it's a security thing, Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and so, yeah, you're working every day, and you're not being paid for it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you would feel about having to come to work every day <laughs> and not get a paycheck. It's 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 sad. Yeah, it really I, is. And I my feelings that. on that are echoed very loudly in the last program. So, uh, yes, I would not be very happy. the The point being that you know, as an independent business owner myself, it's something that we we can appreciate intimately when yeah. you're not paid for something. And yet, you know, to to be doing work and not getting paid for it is tough. It's, right. a, it's a very, very, very challenging place to be. And we've been blessed here at PDX yeah. because we have not had any issues. Some of these other airports have uh, potentially uh, TSA that calling out, not showing up to work. Uh, we will continue to say this, I'm sure, throughout the interview is the camaraderie and the family and the culture that we have mm-hmm. at PDX, which is so uh, exclusive, uh, we haven't had that problem. One of the things that's not entering in the conversation these days, people coming into the country and so forth, they're, they're coming in in a variety of ways. And uh, one of those ways is through the airport, okay. right through the checkpoint. Okay. Uh, have you encountered any sorts of uh, unusual activity or in, in recent times, let's just say, a spike in activity that was odd no, um, not odd, uh, because I definitely don't want too many things to surprise us day right. after day. Yes. We'd like to have been in front of it. Uh, as it comes to uh, when we're talking border security sure. and things like that, not much specifically with the checkpoint. Uh, if anything, that's more of you know CBP when folks are coming in from other countries into the airport. Your first contact is CBP. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we will respond. Police, law enforcement will respond if there's an issue there. But the initial contact for a public safety and security for someone coming from another country into the United States at the airport mm-hmm. is more CBP uh, right. there. Where we're focusing a lot now, if we're talking about some of the things that we're having to work on, is uh, marijuana. Mm. That's that's really where a lot of our effort, law enforcement wise, is going toward because you know it's legal here, correct? Uh, not everywhere else, right? And so folks will come in to with money to uh, get product and then take it out. Ah, and so we're watching you. I see. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Well, that would be a thing. That's uh, a thing because. Yeah. Uh, since we've been talking about uh, security and, and things of that nature, it brings up a, an interesting question, which I, I guess for, for a while, at least uh, in this part of the country, has been um, a sort of mute. Uh, but that would be the question of real ID. Maybe yes. you can explain that a little bit. Yes. Uh, real ID started several years ago. Uh, I think it was in the Bush administration where they were looking for two things. One, to enhance driver's license, ID, so forth out of the DMV, security features wise for you know fraudulent ID duplication, things like that. 
but then also to uh, ensure citizenship of the United States. And like I said, this was a long time ago that this mm-hmm. came out. And long story short, year over years over years, the federal government has given extensions for states to catch up and change their DMV practices and procedures to do those things, security features and birth certificates and things like that to ensure your citizenship. And finally, uh, a couple of years ago, the federal government put its foot down and said, after October 2020, you no longer will be able to traverse through federal facilities without this enhanced ID. And states, you all need to get on board. And unfortunately, Oregon and Washington were some of the few uh, to get on board a little late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'll just stick with Oregon uh, a little little late to the game, if you will. For a while there, we were anti this for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, no debate there. Right. Uh, but now we need to get on board. And October 2020 is the deadline. Interesting. Now, this would be like a card. This, this would- is a yeah. This is a driver's license. This is a card yeah. that you'll be able to go to the DMV and get. Mm-hmm. And so, Oregon will be ready to issue those in July of 2020. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, big deal because one of those federal facilities is the checkpoint at the airport. <laughs> of course, it is. <laughs> there are nuclear facilities and all these other things that I imagine you and most of us don't go to. Correct. Uh, but the one that'll matter uh, to me and to you and to most of us is the checkpoint. And this includes that. Oh, no. Does this mean another trip to the DMV? I just renewed. My- yeah. Yeah. Looks to be. And I, and I got to say that little bit of info was uh, most enlightening as I had heard rumblings about a new ID in the works and uh, evidently the rest of the country kind of blinked and went, okay, <laughs> just slid into line. But uh, seriously, uh, there there were some issues about the legality of this thing and at the least uh, the ethics of it. But uh, clearly we live in interesting times, friends. Now, uh, many of you listening in other parts of the country may already be aware of this uh, quote enhanced ID, or maybe you already have one. But uh, for us out here in the Pacific Northwest, it seems there is still some opposition and consternation concerning it. And uh, as Chris mentioned, there a valid uh, passport will suffice for the time being, but eventually everybody will need uh, one of these cards, I'm afraid. Is this more chip stuff? No, no. And uh, as I understand it, it's merely, quote, enhanced by uh, verifying that you are, in fact, a U.S. citizen. Yeah, I'm thinking there's still going to be some folks out here that won't be going along quietly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know what? I, I totally get it, man. And since the uh, the state of Washington was also uncertain about the ramifications of this ID, uh, evidently they too get it. Yeah, you know, the other thing that got me was that whole uh, private police and fire department thing the port has and how they work with the city versions of that. I mean, if they can get that to work, maybe they could send some folks to D.C., see if they could get the Senate and Congress to cooperate. <laughs> you know what? That's a brilliant point, Mr. Keynes, and I second that notion. Indeed. Thanks again to Chris Neal for sitting down with us uh, for the interview. And, f- and for those interested, there is a link in the show notes 
to our friends there at the Port of Portland, for those curious, uh, as that uh, organization manages a bunch of other things, including ensuring environmental preservation and all sorts of green practices, and it will amaze and astound you. Check it out. And, of course, the PDX Carpet Facebook page uh, will also have a link for you there. <laughs> Only here <laughs> would a carpet get a Facebook page. Okay, <clears throat> so with that, uh, we will call it a show and uh, take our barges down the river, but not before thanking our contributors this time out. Nico Lane for always wondrous exclamations. And, of course, Chris Neal from the Port of Portland for being a most gracious guest. And Trista Perez for spectacular idemant. Yes, and but also, the DMV-hating Milt Keynes for technical assistance and size. Oh, like I'm the only guy who hates that. <laughs> you and 150 million of your closest friends. <laughs> and, of course... Thanks, as always, to you, friends, for pushing play on this edition of Fusebox wherever you obtain this fine program. Be it Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or the nearly famous Overnightscape Underground channel at unsug.com, as we uh, most sincerely appreciate your participation in that way. I have been your wistful wall-crawling host, Mark Rose saying until our next cartoon. Fuse.